What is SCC? What does it mean to be part of Southport Church of Christ? So our vision here at Southport is about following Jesus, transforming lives. This is the mission Jesus calls us to, that we're not just a church of six pastors, but we're a church of over 600 ministers. Good morning, church. How are we? It's great to be here. My name is Adam Penman, and I have the privilege to look after our young adults here at Southport, and uh, it brings me great joy to be able to speak to you guys this morning, and it's my hope uh, that you feel uh, encouraged, inspired as you walk out of this room. Um, But I missed something, because as I was watching the church news just then, um, I heard Alex say that during the week in the courtyard, some people met Jesus, except I didn't hear anyone say anything in the crowd. So I was a bit confused about what we do here at Southport. And so is that exciting? Someone's life was radically changed this week. Their eternity was changed. They're now going to spend eternity in heaven with God, and they get to walk with Him today. That is what we're about here at Southport Church of Christ. Um, just wanted to check us on that one. I knew we were all excited inside. Um, hey, at the moment, we are actually, 2023, we are kicking off the Transformation Trek, which I love. Uh, it's something that's been so helpful for my life. And uh, if you're new to this community uh, or you haven't heard about the Transformation Trek before, um, you're in for a treat this year. Uh, and I believe as we get on board, it's going to be incredible. But let me explain. Let's jump in straight away and explain what the Transformation Trek Uh, is about. Now to explain it, uh, let me just give you this picture. You would have seen her around, she's down the front running around making noise. Uh, This is my daughter Grace and uh, over, these are some pictures over the last uh, 12 months uh, and a bit over that. Now the most natural thing for Grace to do uh, as a healthy baby over the last year is for her to grow, isn't it? It's for her to grow and change uh, and uh, be formed. Actually, I was a little bit scared as I uh, was talking to someone previously just for the service, and they said, Adam, I saw you at that age, um, which made me feel a bit uh, uneasy. (laughs) But here's the reality. For the Christian life, it's very similar. The most natural thing for a Christian to do over time, a healthy Christian, is for us to grow. It's for us to change. It's for us to be formed. And now Paul uses different language for this. Uh, uh, I guess a more stronger language when he uses this, uh, when he says this in this verse. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, what God's will is, will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It came out there. Uh, in uh, in uh, Galatians, Paul gives us this, little, this, this picture of what we are being transformed into, and it's not on the screen, but it says that he urges and he desires for us to be formed into the image of Christ, that we would become like Jesus as we follow him. Now, I'm not saying that we need to become a, 
uh, a Middle Eastern man uh, and grow a beard. But what I'm saying is that when we become like Christ, that it looks like that we surrender to God in greater ways, that we see that we can overcome, overcome sin in, in, in greater ways in our life and that we grow more spiritually mature every single year, that we're transformed. And that's what we're about here at Southport, following Jesus, transforming lives, both ours and others. You see, it's our desire here at Southport that you this time, this time next year would look back on the year that's been and go, because I followed Jesus with the people that are in this room, I am more Christ-centered. I have a greater love for God. I am more generous. I am more loving. I am more real. I am more committed. I am more peaceful. I am more generous. I'm a better husband, a wife, a friend, a sister. I look more like Jesus and I'm living in this abundant life because I chose to follow him. Now, my question is, if you were to look back on the last year, would you say you look more like Jesus than the year that's gone? It's a challenging question, isn't it? You see, when we look at the disciples when Jesus met them and when we see them move in Acts, we see this radical shift and change that takes place. Now, here's the reality. We don't accidentally become more like Jesus. We don't just wake up one day and go, oh, I made it. I'm here. We don't accidentally get a a summer body, do we? We all know that. It takes intentionality. One of the common myths that we can fall into is that we can just think our way to Christ-likeness. That all I need to know is the Bible. And the Bible is important and we should know it. Back to front, we should all read it. But information and transformation don't work the way that we think. Here's an example. Coming up in July, I plan to run the Gold Coast Marathon. Pastor Zane's doing that. There's a few young adults who are jumping on board. If you would like to do that, I invite you to come along. Now, if we follow the myth that all we need to do is know, imagine if I just read a book on how to run a marathon in my preparation to July's race, or just listen to a podcast. And that's all my preparation involved, just what I could learn. I knew when I, needed to, uh, when I needed to hydrate, the right shoes I needed to wear, what speed I needed to run at. How do you think you would go if that's what you did? How do you think you would go on race day? I think we all know how far we would get, don't we? You see, the reality is that uh, if I want to run this marathon, or if I want to uh, become a runner, do you know what I need to do? Yeah. I need to run. I need to run. I need to partner who I'm wanting to become with the right practices. And so what do I need to do? I need to call my friends and I say, hey, can you meet me tomorrow morning, 4.30? We're going to go for a run before work. I need to wake up, get up, get there, put the shoes on, and I need to start running. I need to put, align it with the right practices. Now, the reality is the track, this is what we hope to do, is that we hope, in order, in order to become more like Jesus, we hope to live and learn the ways of Jesus in order to partner that with what we're learning in the Bible, to practice our faith this year. And so over the year, what that looks like is we're going to look at 10 different practices, um, uh, each looking at a different uh, part of the life of Jesus. Um, I know for Tegan and I, one of the most transformative practices for us last year was the Sabbath. 
a time in our week that we just stop as a family, we don't work, we don't, we don't earn, we don't do anything, and we're together, uh, and we're with God, and we enjoy His creation. Now, the reality is that we've just done a month of grace, so we know we don't earn God's love, and that's not what the trek is about. But grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. And so this is what we hope that you guys will come on board to do this year that you will join us as we begin to practice and learn the ways of Jesus in order to become like him and live the abundant life that he's called us to and be the people of God that he's called us to in this world. Are you on board? Have I got you? Good. So we're going to kick off our first practice for the day, uh, for the year, sorry, uh, which is called Cultivating Community. Uh, If you're taking notes or you've got your Bible, I encourage you, to uh, continue to follow along with me. But um, why don't I pray, and then we'll continue. Lord God, I just thank you that you are good and kind and gracious. Lord, our hope is just to give you all that we are. And I just ask God, as we stop and we're here this morning, we may have come in and we might feel just tired. We might come and just be excited or a lot of things on our mind. Help us, God, just to be present with you. Lord, may any worries that be on our mind just sort of fall away as your uh, spirit of peace and comfort is over us. And may we just look to you, God. I pray you would just use my words, Lord, uh, uh, by your spirit and do something powerful with them in our lives. Um, All the glory to you, God. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Everyone said... Awesome. So what we're going to look at, what does it look like for us this year to, uh, and especially this month, to cultivate our community, to to grow and see a community that is formed, that is life-giving, that is God-glorifying. And so uh, if you're taking notes, my first point really simply is community is God's idea. If you've got your Bibles, you can flick them all the way to, actually just open it pretty much straight away to Genesis chapter 1. Um. If you're new to church, this is this beautiful account of the creation story uh, of God creating the world. And as we look through chapter 1, we see Jesus creating these different aspects of what we see uh, around us. And I love his response to what he has created. Let's have a look at a few of the examples. In uh, In verse 10, it says, And God called the, uh, the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was, everyone say it? Yes. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants wielding seed according to their own kinds, the trees bearing fruit um, in which their seeds, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was, yes, it was, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from the darkness, uh, he created uh, uh, the, the moon and the stars, Uh, And God saw that it was good. Verse 21, so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was? Yes. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was? Yes, it was. It was so good. And then we continue on. 
we get to one point where everything he's saying and everything he's seeing is saying it is good until we get to man. Let's have a look. I know, right? We're in trouble there. The Lord God took the man. Am I, am I in there? Yep. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, it shall, of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. For the first time in creation, uh, God says to us that, that something is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. If you flip back to chapter 1, verse 26, um, it gives us insight into why. It says this, Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. You see, what we have to grasp here is we exist uh, as a living resemblance of God. God exists in eternal community within the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they operate in perfect relationship with one another, perfectly complementing one another. To be created after God's likeness incorporates that because God is relational, a relational being, He created us as relational beings to best represent Him to all creation. By saying it is not good for man to be alone, God is expressing the incompleteness of man apart from community. We cannot image God's relational nature in isolation. So God's response Chapter 2, verse 18, it says, I will make him a helper, I will make him a helper fit for him. And let's continue reading, Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. I laughed at that this week because I was just like, a, a pet is not a substitute for community, Okay. No amount of puppies or dogs or cats gets you across the line. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man and closed up, um, caused the man upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed um, up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. God created woman as a companion for Adam. Both in relationship with each other and God, we see here in the garden this good and beautiful community take shape. A place of complete unity and love and purpose in the presence of God. There is no shame or hate or death, but union and perfect peace together with God as they walk with Him. This is what we are created for. It's on the screen here. At the core of our being is this truth. We are designed for relationships. We were born with a relentless longing to participate in the lives of others. Fundamentally, we are relational souls. We cannot not be relational. We cannot exist well without connection and communion with one another and God. Friends, we are designed and created to be in community with each other and God. Now what happens next is this good and beautiful community is quickly corrupted. 
And you may have heard the story. If you're brand new, maybe you haven't. But for us that's been in church, we'll know the story. Lies are spread by Satan. Adam and Eve disobey God's command. There is blame and gossip. Adam and Eve um, find themselves naked and ashamed and hide themselves from God. And this beautiful community is fractured. Their relationship is broken. In verse, chapter 3, verse 23, it says, God drove them out of the garden. And we see this sort of ripple effects take place into their family as we see at um, Cain and Abel. And, and, and the disagreement with them in that, in that community and relationship and that family is one of them ends up killing the other. It sounds like a crazy Netflix series, doesn't it? I think so. That's my brain. Sin corrupts this good and beautiful community. And there is dysfunction and brokenness that echoes through history. Now, when we look at our current modern world, the state of the world that it's in, it's, it's, we can see that we are not connected in the way that we should be. Broken and fractured relationships are all around us. Our modern world gives us an illusion of connection through online means, whether it be our phones or email, or this is a I feel like this is way too pretty to be on the screen for me, but Instagram or uh, Twitter or Facebook or, or uh, Snapchat, maybe we're all just, are we all just Facebook maybe this morning? I think it's probably our more dominant one. The other ones are probably like, what, what are we even doing on those things? Um, we've never been more connected ever before in this world. And I love uh, this uh, statement about our cultural moment when it comes to digital relationships. We are lonely but fearful of intimacy. Digital connections may offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Our network life allows us to hide from each other, even as we are tethered to each other. We would rather text than talk. When technology engineers intimacy, relationships can be reduced to mere connections. And then easy connection becomes redefined as intimacy. Put otherwise, cyber intimacies slide into cyber solitude. We have never been more connected yet. We've never been more disconnected in our lives with each other. In and outside of the church, the statistics of loneliness and brokenness just continue to rise. We see in one in three uh, people uh, in Australia statistically are saying that they are lonely. As I go over to the university and as we partner with them to care and, and look after the students and I sit with the, the management there and go, hey, what does it look like for us to be here, to get alongside you? And they just said, Adam, the students just need support, support, support. They're lonely. They feel left out. They're away from their friends, their family. They're trying to pursue this connection online that doesn't meet the need that they need. We look around, we see this pool for community everywhere we go, and you're probably a part of one. In the life group, in the, I'm sorry, not in the life group, in uh, the sports group, in the surf clubs, in the chess group, in the dance group, uh, the gym. There's this desire and longing and earnestness inside of us to be a part of community. But the reality is those communities only itch a scratch of a greater earning that doesn't be met because it, they don't have Christ. Now, if you've got your Bibles, flip them to Ephesians 2, or it's going to be on the screen, that's as as well. Chapter 2, verse 13. What we need to notice is God longs for this good and beautiful community with us. He longs to be in relationship with us. And so, 
Let me just read uh, these verses, and I, and I hope that we don't get lost in them, but I'll explain them after. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh a dividing wall of hostility. Verse 16. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Verse 18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. You see, community was so important for God that Jesus was willing to die for it. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That community has been paid for by the blood of Jesus. And in the context of this scripture, what Paul's referring to is this divide in the Jews and the Gentiles that's happening in the time. And he's saying, hey, because of what Jesus did on the cross, that no longer are we two different people groups, but we are now one in Christ. That right now in this room, it doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter what our story is. It doesn't matter what color our skin is. That because we are in Christ, because of what Jesus did on the cross and paid for it with his blood, you are now one family. We are now one family here, together and in relationship with God. Isn't that good? Isn't that powerful? That is what we have here. How precious is that? That there is this earnestness in all of us for us to have this, and you and I have this. That deep down that there is this desire for the world to grab onto this, and you and I share it every single week. You see, community is God's idea. We were created for it. But secondly, if you're taking notes, community is a vehicle for transformation. When we look at the life of Jesus, we must see that Jesus did not just have one disciple. Jesus had many disciples. And Jesus invited us to follow him. He invited us uh, to join his community. And in that text, we see that and, and all throughout the New Testament. You see, the church is called a family, a household. It's called Christ's bride, the body. It's something we do together. Now, recent research from Barna uh, around the Christian church and people that follow Jesus said that 41% of Christian adults consider their spiritual life as entirely private. Entirely private. There's this growing movement that says, I don't need church to be a Christian. But church community, friends, is the context in which we grow and change and are transformed and become more like Jesus. There's this beautiful story that I've heard, and maybe you've heard it before. Um, and it was between a pastor and uh, someone that, that uh, was a part of his congregation. And uh, uh, the man comes up, and he's trying to make his point with this pastor that he doesn't need to attend church. And uh, he's, he's creating this elaborate response, and they're sitting down, and they're around a fire. And, uh, and as the guy's talking, the pastor leans forward, and he um, pulls out a piece of coal uh, from the, the fire that's alight. And right in front of him, they just put it in the stone. 
in front of them. And uh, right now as they're talking, they see this piece of coal that's on fire begin to, to wither and go out and go cold. And the man looks at the pastor and he just says, you've made your point. We can no more be formed to the image of Christ outside of church community than a coal can continue to burn bright outside of a fire. Church community is the context in which we grow and change. Hebrews says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Church community is a place in which we love and spur one another, showing grace to one another, and at the same time calling each other to this beautiful holy standard that we have as we follow Jesus. What I love about this verse is what it taps into is this ministry uh, of one another that the New Testament gives us insight into. And you may have heard and read this over your time, but let's have a look at this. You see, as we gather together in this beautiful community that God has called us to, while messy, he says, hey, you're called to accept one another, confess your sins to one another, be devoted to one another in love to serve one another, clothe yourself in humility towards one another, bear one another's burdens, speak truth to one another, pray for one another, and be hospitable to one another. That is our, that is our, our mandate to one another in this community that we live in. That as we walk through the doors of this church, I heard this week, this is, I found really helpful, we don't just say, hey, here I am. When we walk through the doors of church and community, we say, hey, there you are. Community is the context in which we change. And this happens in many different ways at the church. And I love seeing all the different ways that we do it. I love walking in during the, during the week in the, in the corridors and I see uh, David and Blake uh, catching up and doing some discipleship together. I love that. One of my most favorite things that I see, and I host one of these, is life groups. It's, it's something that operates every single week throughout our church, where people come together on a, on a night during the week or during the day. They open the scriptures together. They talk about the sermon. They talk about their lives. They pray for each other. They spur each other on. It's an incredible, powerful time. And actually, this month, we are, we are spending all four weeks of this month trying to get every single person in this church a part of a life group. And so I hope that is something that you want to sign up for today. But right now we're going to look at a, a bit of an interview from Kylie White talking about her experience with Life Group and her leading that. So why don't we turn our eyes to the screen now. My name's Kylie White and I run a Life Group with my husband, Simon, every Wednesday night. So Life Group is once a week we get online with a bunch of other families and pretty much we do life together. We share our highs and our lows. Um, we discuss the sermons um, and we pray for each other. I feel like a lot's happened actually in the lives of everyone in our group. We've had people who have been studying, who have just graduated. Um, we've had children born in our life group. We've had birthday celebrations. Um, yeah, I guess just general life things happening, but it's just really exciting when you've seen someone's journey. Um, you've seen them, you know, battling along and, you know, life's been hard trying to study and 
um, hardware finances and things like that and then yeah they've got to the end of that and we can celebrate with them and it's just been really lovely to cheer the people on who are in our group. I've been at this church pretty much my whole life and yes I've made some great connections but I think when you have children it gets harder to stay connected with people because um, I don't know, life moves on and you're at different stages. And it was actually really hard to connect with others at a deeper level on a Sunday at church. So when we joined a life group, um, yeah, it just was really nice to actually be connected with a couple of other families who knew what was going on behind the scenes. And it wasn't just that surface level, hello, how are you doing? Um, but yeah, we really knew what was going on in other people's lives and we could share what was going on in ours. and just really felt like we were journeying together. Join a life group, yeah. It's, um, yeah, you won't regret it. I feel like life is busy and sometimes it does feel like it's hard to put aside time, but I've never regretted our life group. We'd sort of get to every week and we'll have a hard day and be exhausted and think, oh, some nights it's, oh, life group's on tonight, come on, you know, push through and we get on and I feel like God just blesses us so much. Every week we get off and I don't know, it just feels like a weight's lifted a bit. We've, we've shared our burdens, we've prayed with each other and yeah, just feel lighter going in for the next week. Isn't that powerful? And it's actually in that relationship, in that context in which we change and grow together. And that's our heart for us as a church this year, that we would actually be a part of a life group. And so after the service, there'll be a life group board down the back. You can go and you can uh, talk to uh, a leader there, Pastor Don, uh, about what's happening in life groups, how you can be a part of one and what that may look like for your life season. It's too important for us to not be a part of a life group. It's the, t the context in which we change and grow. Let me share the heart, a little bit of heart behind uh, what this means. It's going to be on the screen. When we might turn up and not feel like worshipping here at SCC, we the community should carry each other on with worship. When one of us can't seem to find it in ourselves to pray, our prayers as a community should surround each other. When the scripture seems closed off for us, the community should keep on reading, affirming and incarnating it around us. When one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. When God begins to work with us personally at a deep level of our incompleteness and brokenness, our bondage and sin, we need the body of Christ here at Southport, SCC, to support, encourage, and challenge, and nurture each other towards wholeness. Here's my question. Are you on board with this? Are you on board with what we want to do here at Southport as we cultivate this beautiful community that serves one another and that glorifies God? My last point is this. As I stand in the red, you're probably wondering why I have an apple and a lolly. Maybe you're wanting to eat the apple or the lolly. What, what, what is our response to a community that Jesus died for? That's what I want to land on. What is our response to a community that Jesus died for? On the right here, um, we have an apple. And there's an apple tree on the screen. Um, and, uh, and I want you to sort of partner this thought of the apple and the apple tree as God's good and beautiful community. Now the apple, to cultivate and grow a healthy apple, it requires effort. Has anyone grown a tree or an apple tree even? 
You can come talk to me if I'm wrong. Any tree. You need to break the ground, cultivate and create good soil for it to grow in. You need to water it and you need to see to it over time. The apple tree can take up to eight years to bear fruit. That's a long time, hey. I would not want to be waiting for an apple that long. But when it's grown right, cared for, as it walks through storms, it produces uh, this beautiful fruit that's good to the body. And what they say, an apple a day keeps... Yep, don't know if that's true. The apple tree, when grown right, most naturally will outlive the person that planted it and that cared for it. The apple. Then we got apple-flavored lolly. Okay? It says apple. We know there's not any apple in it. <laughs> I think, well, yeah. Now, this apple-flavored lolly contains about 0.05% of apple in it, right? I don't even think that. And it says flavored. I got this on Tuesday as I was paying for my sushi and it was at the checkout. And I thought, oh, there's that. I might buy that. It cost me like $3. It was not, it was not hard to do. It was convenient. It was easy. I must add, it's really tasty, but the sugary goodness is not going to be good for my body. It's going to provide no nutritional value. I can tell you now that it's going to be short-lived. It's not going to outlive me or you. There's no chance of that. And while it gives off the image of apple, both you and I know that it's not a healthy substitute to the real thing. I haven't heard apple-flavored high chew a day keeps the doctor away. I've never heard that. Now, here's my point. The way we treat community in the church can quickly become the same thing. You see, this uses the word apple, but it doesn't truly represent it. The kids would love, actually, this type of apple. So you're going to get them on, on board. We quickly choose a poor copy over the original. We choose a version of a community that fits us over the real thing. Now, what does this one look like? What does a poor version of the real one look like? It says, I'm willing to turn up, but I'm not going to be involved. And over time, we silently quit in this community. We are unwilling to get uncomfortable. We'll come when it's convenient for us. I'll be here, but I don't want to do the work to forgive that person. I'll turn up, but I don't want to be or invite too many messy people into my life. I'll be here, but if the church doesn't meet the needs of what I want, I'm just going to go to another one down the road. It looks like Apple, but it's not Apple. It's not the real thing. And it's going to give you the same results. Here's the thing. Cultivating community is hard. The community that we choose otherwise is easy. It's fast. It's clean. This is messy because you and I are in it. This is something that you grow over time that will outlive you. This is something that is fleeting. This is something that is good for your soul and others. This one is just maybe good for you. Not even good for you, but it's for yourself. This one participates and this one spectates. Here's my point. How are you going to approach community this year? Are you going to... Are you finding that actually there's parts of your life that you've signed a little bit up to this one and you need to come back to the real thing? Because this is the thing that we are called to cultivate and give our life to and it's when we do that that this community will be transformed, God will be most glorified and the world will be most changed. Amen? What community are you cultivating this year?
As you walked into this place, you received a practice guide. Um, that is just a bit of some, some uh, information and helpful tips for your discipleship relationships, for you personally, to look through and to help you as you seek to be a part of and cultivate a community. And if the band wants to come on up and as they do that, I will just walk you through these really simple practical tips. The first one is what it looks like to cultivate a community. It means to turn up. What does it look like for you to get there, to sign up for life group, to turn up to church, maybe to get here early to welcome people? Two, what does it look like for you to participate in community? As we saw before, that there is so many opportunities for you to serve and build this place. What has God gifted you with that he wants to use you to serve your, your neighbor and serve the Lord? What gifts has he given you to use? Three, what can I share in my time, my resources, and really my very self? Community takes vulnerability. And lastly, who can I invite into this community? So maybe you can just take a photo of that, have a ponder of that during the week. But let me pray, and the band's going to take us away. Lord, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for just how good you are. I thank you that you love us and that you're with us. Lord, I, I know that you, you love this, what we do here right now, because we know, Jesus, that you died for it on the cross. And so, God, while there, are, there may be people here right now that just think, hey, you know what, maybe I've signed up for a substitute. Maybe I've been doing community wrong. I pray, God, that you would just really convict and encourage us to jump into the mess of what cultivating community is about. That, Lord, that our needs aren't always met, but, Lord, in that place we can serve and love each other and glorify you. So help us do this well. We love you, God. We need your help. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen.